Bellwether Friends, definitely not the first podcast featuring a discussion of pop culture and why we think you should like what we like. You, you should, should trust, trust us, us. <laughs> because we're, we're librarians. librarians. I'm Anna, and my pronouns are she and her. I'm Aline, and my pronouns are she and her. Every couple of weeks, we're going to get together and chat about a pop culture topic or two, what we think and how we feel. We'll end the show with our current obsessions. This is episode number 106. Fairies, Fay, and the Wee Folk. <laughs> You're happy to have a guest joining us. Our beloved guest, friend of the podcast, and awesome author of books for all ages, Stephanie Burgess. Thank you so much. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I listen to this every week, so it's every week it's up, I should say. <laughs> so I am very excited to actually be on it again. We're very excited to know that there are listeners. <laughs> Always interesting. Yes, yes. And dear listeners, we do know you're out there. We just sort of don't really believe it too sometimes. Right. You have to clap because you believe in listeners. Yeah, right. exactly. Otherwise they die off slowly. <laughs> Is it clapping? That Oh my gosh, I totally forgot Tinkerbell was a fairy. See? Yeah. Look at that. Yes. Relevant content already. <laughs> We're here today to talk about fairies, fae, and the wee folk, and I I don't have a lot of fairy experience, which... Have you never been trapped in a fairy circle? Well, I mean, there have been fairy rings in most of my yards. Were you not switched at birth? I, not to my knowledge, but that would explain a lot. Uh -huh. Um, okay, good to know. Wait, have you not ever lost any socks? No, of course not. I do the laundry. Socks would not dare get lost. <laughs> All right, so you're remarkably fairy resistant. I may be fairy resistant. My mom would be so proud. I know, right? <laughs> so in thinking about fairies and so on, I thought about our usual questions when we're covering a topic in depth. And so I would like to start with Stephanie, but you can think about your answer too, Anna. Tell me about your history with fairies and your like first encounter and first memory of fairies in your life. All right. Well, the first one that really, really got to me was a book I was obsessed with when I was a kid. And before I even talk about it, I have to warn everybody that I haven't read it since I was a kid. So it could be hideously problematic because I have not checked. And it, it's I think every adult has that experience of occasionally. Check to see if something holds up. It often doesn't. But that's OK. It, yeah. it touched so you. So tell us back. about it. But it's by Dalov Ipkar. It's called Queen of Spells. And it's historical fantasy based on the Tamlin myth. And so there's a girl, Janet, growing up who falls in love with this very mysterious young man, Tamlin, who is in fact a captive of the fairies and she has to rescue him from the Queen of Fairies or the Queen of Spells is in the title. And the fairies are very dangerous and they're very enigmatic and that really set the tone for how I always thought of them. And, and they're quite humanish. Uh, the most powerful of the fairies in that one, just humans with really, really scary powers. Then after that, uh, the next big formative book was Emma Bull's War for the Oaks, which is actually the book that convinced me to write fantasy. Cool. Because <laughs> up until then, as you know, people uh, who have read my adult books might not be surprised to hear, I was planning to write romance. And I mean... We're for, yep. for all of these things. <laughs> Fantastical <laughs> romance is even the best. That's what I think. <laughs> so, and then I was about 14, and my dad lent me his copy of War for the Oaks, and I thought it was awesome. And I thought, that's it. I'm writing fantasy. And as it turns out, of course, you know, I ended up combining <laughs> fantasy and romance. But again, there's, yeah, it's fairies in real life this time in Minneapolis at uh, the time the book was written, which oh, I haven't checked sometime around the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s. I have had War for the Oaks on my to be read list for a long time, but I haven't ever managed to read it. Maybe I will move it up. Well, I can tell you that when I was 14, I thought it was the best thing ever. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. I, I wrote a very very, very um, imitative novel. That was my first full-length novel I'd written. It was called Fairy Tale, and it was basically like War for the Oaks, except that the heroine was a librarian instead of a rock star. 
It's never going to be published for very good reasons, not least that it was totally copying Emma Bull. But, you know, for at 14, I thought it was great. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and then a few years later, I read Ellen Kushner's Thomas the Rhymer, another one where, you know, it's a, again, set based on an ancient ballad like Queen of Spells was. And again, with someone who's gotten involved in the fairies and has to pay some prices. And then later on, there's Susanna Clark, Jonathan Strange, and Mr. Norrell, all of her short stories also. And most recently, there's a great middle grade book by Claire Fairs called Mirror Magic. I'm not sure if it's out in the U.S. or only in the U.K. If it's if it's only the U.K., you can order it through the book depository. But it's really fun. It's set in 19th century England in the town of Wise, which is the last town in England where magic can still be done. And it's operated partly through the system of magic mirrors. And if you look in the mirror, what you see is the town of Unwise, which is actually a fairy town. And the fairies and the humans are sort of working together on the magic. That sounds great. So those would be my main fairy books, I think. Awesome. Anna? See, I've been trying to remember since we, you know, since we um, decided came up with to do this. this. Idea. And I think most of my fantasy reading was dragon oriented for our last rep episode with <laughs> Stephanie <laughs> rather than fairy oriented. And so it wasn't until we were talking about Lady Coddington's pressed fairy book uh, yeah, that I was like, I, I had a copy of that and there were squashed fairies inside it. <laughs> and wait, Alien has a segue. So Anna said something about Lady Coddington's Pressed Fairy Book, and I said, well, that's a parody of the Cottingly Fairies hoax. And she said, what? Uh, And I said, the Cottingly Fairies hoax. You know about this, right? There was a movie. And she's like, no. (laughs) And I said, well, and I started to explain it to her, and she said, save it for the recording. And so I want to make sure that everyone listening knows about my personal interest in fairies, which is that they're fake. (laughs) And I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. I just mean that in 1997, there was a movie made called Fairy Tale, A True Story that was about these two little girls who came forward with photographs of real fairies that were, it was believed as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a part of the whole thing. He was like, check this out. These girls found fairies and they took pictures of them. Oh, Arthur Conan Doyle. I know. <laughs> it's sucker everything like that. Really was. The Wikipedia article is like, author and prominent spiritualist, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I was like, really? And I, I knew that. And then I had like, it had slipped my mind. But he's a character in this movie. And the movie is, it's one of those cool sort of Victorian costume dramas that is kind of like a Wikipedia article and has some real life <laughs> characters in it, but is a, it's a movie made of this photographic hoax. And if you look at the pictures, which I will link to the Wikipedia article, it has the photographs reproduced and you can see that there are some pretty <laughs> photoshopped kind of jobbies, except it's before then and photography was not a super understood science, but in response to this hoax was Lady Cottingley's, um, Lady Cottinger's, Cottingtons, Cottingtons pressed fairy book, which had squashed fairies in it as though you had, um, mushed them like flowers or bugs. Uh, Yes, I think, I have a vague memory of it. I don't, I don't think I owned a copy unlike Anna, but, um, I I remember thinking it was creepy. (laughs) It is creepy because they're in, they're in color and like, there's like, fluid coming out of them and they've been squashed very uh visually accurately I don't know how to anyway I feel like I've seen them too I have like a mental image of like a squashed bug fairy sort of image so anyway this is sort of my Mm -hmm. and I mean in 1997 I was in my mid-20s it's not that this wasn't like an early experience but I did not read the red fairy book and the green fairy book and the blue fairy Mm. book and those books that you some some people might have in their children's libraries my middle school library was full of them I read all of them (laughs) I have them upstairs Yeah, and so and like I mean, I've been asked for them as a librarian, and I've provided them to people, but I've never read them. 
I have, um, did I interrupt you talking about your fairy history? Yeah, but carry on. I'm, I'm still putting it together. Okay. You're still composing it. So I don't know. So my mom was a librarian as listeners know, and she brought books home to me and she was not a fantasy reader herself. And I don't know. I am not a fantasy reader by nature, but I am, I am a fantasy based in my world reader. So mm-hmm. I love Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And I love things that, ha- you know, I want there to be a regular world with magic and with creatures that you don't see and so on. But when you take mm-hmm. me to another planet or you have another world where they don't call dogs dogs, I get very <laughs> confused and frustrated. So... <laughs> As an adult, my so my reading of Harry Potter and magic books like Murder, Magic, and What We Wore by a friend of the podcast, Kelly Jones, and Stephanie Burgess's wonderful books, especially Aww. Cat, the Cat books. Mm. I have liked things like the Canadian television show Lost Girl. Mm. I saw the few first few episodes and thought they were wonderful. Right. It's like super sexy, and there's like a mm. fae underworld in a thinly veiled Toronto. It's it's cool. And I just started listening a few weeks ago to my first foray into Terry Pratchett. I listened to The We Free Men and I'm about to finish A Hatful of Sky, which The We Free Men are fairy folk and I love them because they love drinking and they love fighting and they love thieving and they love drinking and fighting and they love fighting and thieving and they love drinking and thieving and they're just my kind of guys. <laughs> And they're so funny. I, those books, I laugh out loud every single time I reread them. They're great. I And I've, you know, it took me 15 years after Kelly first told me I would like them for me to start listening <laughs> to them. But, um, but I'm here now and I'm enjoying myself very much. The sort of under, the secret underworld that is more fae than fairy, I really like in Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. Hmm. which is not fairy, but it's kind of fae-ish, and there's yeah. like a, a magical underworld that you don't know about. And there is a book that is, so like Neverwhere is to London, there's a book mm-hmm. that is the Neverwhere of New York called Veronica by Nicholas Christopher, which was published in the 90s, and nobody knows about it, and I love it, and I talk about it all the time. Isn't there one, is it Martin Miller, Good Fairies of New York? Mm. I don't know this, I'll write it down. Fairies of the Good Fairies of New York. Yes, it's been so long since I read it. I don't think I could describe the plot, but I I can see what I'm googling that there's an introduction by Neil Gaiman. So I, perfect. <laughs> when we were talking before we started recording, I was surprised to remember, or were we recording already? That Tinkerbell's a fairy. Totally forgot Tinkerbell was a fairy. Tinkerbell is a fairy. <laughs> yeah. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, carry on. I think, looking at my research, that most of my fairies would have been in movie form rather than book form until I got to a certain age. So we've got your Tinkerbell in various Peter Pans, your Secret of Ron Inish. We've got some... I love that one. It's a great... It's a great movie and a great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, a labyrinth has various goblins. Are we counting goblins as part of the? F- I think they're fae. They're within the fae. Sure, I think so too. Sure, sure. And the dark crystal has <laughs> gelflings. Gelflings. They, I don't know. They're not fairies. No. Somebody has wings in that though. <laughs> so maybe we need to have a side conversation about what we're including as fairies in the fae. For example, are we including elves? Yes or no. Well, you know, I'm always here for an elf. I think of elves as being separate, but then I sort of think of the fae as including both what you'd call fairies normally and also goblins and will-o'-the-wisp and all those other funky little creatures. (laughs) Yes. Uh, When we were preparing for the episode, our distinction was that we were talking about fairies, but we were not talking about fairy tales. Right. And so that was, that was the distinction that we made. And there is, like, some overlap, but fairy tales don't necessarily include fairies. It's true. That's a, t- a surprising number of fairy tales don't include fairies. The Andrew Lang books are fairy tales, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily fairy tales. Right, right. So I think that that's, that's why I'm, I'm here for the picked seas. Right. And 
the other little things. So I'm I'm going to say that I could do a whole different episode on elves, but I just wanted to say that The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings are elf heavy. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even I I didn't even see that coming. Them in there. I didn't even see that coming and you you did it and we're here now. Right. The uh, the movie Legend Mm, I never saw that one. Is that the one with Tom Cruise? It is the one with Tom oh, Cruise, but no. I believe that Tim Curry is in the villain role, as he is in Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. Fern Gully! Which is an excellent movie I've seen many times. Oh, oh, Strange Magic! Have you guys seen Strange Magic? No, but it's uh, sitting next to me. You have to watch it. My kids and I love it. I mean, to the point where my five-year-old wanted to watch it every single week for about nine weeks in a row. And the amazing thing was, the ninth time, I still enjoyed the movie, even though I wouldn't have chosen to watch it again that quickly. Well, that's great news. Maybe we will watch that one before we send it back. Okay, so coming up to... Uh, oh, wait. My, my earliest fairy uh, cosplay was when I played Mustard Seed in uh-huh. the fifth grade production of Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> if I can find a picture, I'm not sure I will share it. <laughs> so as I got older, my mother and I read a lot of the Charles DeLint books. Oh, I loved those when I was a teen. Right, which are like urban. He's a friend of my former library system. He does programs oh, wow. all the time. We had a stack of those that we worked our way through. And when I encountered Margaret Willison, a.k.a. Mrs. Friday Next, she recommended that I read The Perilous Guard by Elizabeth Marie Pope. Oh, that's so good. I should have thought of that. That's so good. Which is set in 1558, and it's a lady who's been exiled from the court of Mary Tudor and uh, ends up uh, involved with fairies. And also The Folk Keeper by Franny Billingsley. Mm. which are two of her go-to recommendations, so I would be remiss if I did not... I did read them both. I would be remiss if I did not include them here. This I, is great. I, first, I don't know why I didn't think that this was going to come out with a whole lot of great book and movie suggestions. Because you didn't have faith in us. I, well, I wasn't... I don't know. I just was like, oh, fairies, okay. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm going to save the ones I aspirationally want to read, but I will say that I have read and enjoyed the Artemis Fowl books. Mm-hmm. I have read a few of the Shauna McGuire's October Day books, if you are looking for uh, urban fantasy with uh, fairy underpinnings. I have read part of the first Sarah J. Moss quotation marks TM worst bestsellers <laughs> Horny Fairies books. <laughs> Horny Fairies? <laughs> Okay. And the only reason I didn't finish is because my audiobook expired. <laughs> um, I will say that our beloved Peter Grant, Rivers of London, books by Ben Aronovich have fairy characters. They're more prominent in some books than they are in other books, but... It's very much a fae underworld sort of situation, situation. Yeah. that mm-hmm. is super enjoyable for fans of Lost Girl and Neverwhere. Speaking of horny fairies, I also read most of the Laurel K. Hamilton books set in the fae world. Oh, they're addictive, aren't they? These are the Mary Gentry books, not the uh, Anita yeah. Blake books. Oh, maybe I should try See, I read the first Anita Blake and I did not like well, it. Well, so I like these better in a lot of ways, but... Yeah. They are not for the faint of heart. <laughs> They're absolutely ridiculous, and you can't stop reading. Yeah, well, we have them here, I'm sure. Oh, okay, yeah. I think that my my problem with Anita Blake, just since since you asked, <laughs> <laughs> was probably that it was the first one. So if you read Janet Ivanovich's One for the Money, you're like, why do people like these books? Right. And it's not until, like, the fourth one that she really knows what she's doing. And I think that's... So I this think is I could a series have that she started it when she later. had, like, 14 Anita Blakes under her right. belt. Yeah, so... But also, I think the Anita Blakes ran into some issues with some readers because they started out as these very noir urban fantasy, and then they got progressively more and more about sex with lots of different people and so on. But the Mary Gentry just starts right there. So you know what you're getting in for. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I, 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 won't. I mean, there's still <clears throat> a mystery in each one or sure, something. Sure. Sure. I like there to be a quest as, as I mentioned in our last <laughs> episode. Indeed. So, um, let me see. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. 
Oh, I have Leprechaun on my list. Let us not forget Leprechaun. Jennifer I, Aniston is wearing um, horror movies. Light up shoes. Oh, I want light up shoes. It's, yep. But leprechauns, you know, dangerous creatures. They are fairy folk. Well, so that's a thing that I really, really like. So just like the original versions of fairy tales are very cautionary and there's a yes. lot of danger in them. I don't have anything against Tinkerbell, although I prefer her when she's like jealous and mercenary. <laughs> I want these little people to be like the wee free men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am amused by this because if I was a little tiny person and could move really fast and sneak around, I would not be solely helpful. <laughs> I wouldn't just making, come in I'm and making finish making note. your shoes. I would come in and I would drink your special sheep liniment and then <laughs> I would take shiny things from the drawers. And then, you know, I mean, I would definitely probably have people that I liked and that I would milk the cows for, but I, um, yeah. Good to know. Um, I'll try not to shrink you. Okay. So my so my number one recommendation to everyone, if they're vaguely interested in fantasy at all, is Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. Oh, it's so good. It's such a good book. It's worth reading and rereading. It's a comfort read. Mm-hmm. Cool is pending sometime in the Possibly future. this year. Uh, I thought we yeah, had it actually it. has a title now. Uh, so that that is that supersedes all picks. Supersedes everything. Yeah, you have been recommending it to people, and they have been loving it. And I um, mostly I recommend it to people who I think would like it, and they say, "Oh, I read that, and I love it." <laughs> <laughs> there is that, and then there are people who are like, "Do you have more like it, like oh, your sister?" That's tough. It's like, well, we're hoping for another one to come out. <sighs> Oh, wait, I just thought of a really good one I should have mentioned by Zen Cho, Sorcerer to the Crown. Yes. yes. Which is, again, wonderful, and it's set in Regency England and with fairies and magic. I liked it very much. We the have... second one is coming out, like, in a week. Very soon. After talking about your first fairy things, I was going to ask if there were other books... Uh that you not not you yet, but I was going to ask about books and movies, and if there were ever any television shows or music. Ooh, fairy music! Ah. Um, if you had any other formats to share, Stephanie. Well, I already talked about Strange Magic, which I'm having to be brave to talk about because I said that in front of uh, my youngest brother is in Hollywood. And so he had not seen it, but he picked up all the buzz and he said, oh, my God, you watched Strange Magic. That's supposed to be terrible. And I said, I really liked it. <laughs> but the kids and I love it. It's very silly and very sweet. Let me think. I mean, obviously, there's Lorena McKennett and Enya are the ones doing what I think is sort of fairyish music. With, uh, which I guess is really just the sort of Celtic and, you know, very unearthly. Little flutes playing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's all Lorena McKinnon. My mom had a big Lorena McKinnon face. Yes. Yes, I did when I was younger. And I still, you know what? Every so often, I just revert to being my 17-year-old self. And I'm, I'm 41 now, but I'm, every so often, I've had a really stressful night. And I just... I go straight back to my high school years. I climb into bed. I turn on Enya. <laughs> I close my eyes and everything is a bit better. <laughs> and as far as TV shows, I'm trying to think of other actual TV shows beyond Lost Girl, which I'd seen a few episodes of and liked. And I'm sure there must be other TV shows, but I'll have to leave that to you guys because I can't think of any. Hmm. Would you count True Blood? Good question. I wouldn't. I, I don't think of vampires as being... Vampires and werewolves seem like... I don't know why I think of them as different. Okay, no, that's... that's per, I, I think they're different too, but I thought... I didn't know if there were other creatures because it was really hard to see through all the sex. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there were people who were not, who were fae who were not vampires and werewolves, but vampires and werewolves kind of govern you know, they stand out and they are definitely a different category where if you have a community of underworld that is more like in Gail Carriger's books. Yes. Would that count? Would they count? Mm -hmm. No? Okay. 
Mm. There's a book I haven't read yet that I'm looking at on my shelf right now and feeling guilty for not having read yet <laughs> called An Enchantment of Ravens by Margaret Rogerson. I list too, but I haven't read it either. <laughs> well, that's we probably both read the same good reviews of it then. Never feel guilty for not having read something. I have um, I have the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies on my <laughs> music. Oh, excellent. This is good. I the, Yes, I agree with that. Um, I have to put in a plug if you have small children for the Tinkerbells. Uh-huh. There are four or five. I don't know how many there are now, but the Tinkerbell movies. The Tinkerbell movies, which Little G enjoyed very much. It expands on Tinkerbell, and Tinkerbell's like an inventor, and there are all these fairies that do different things, and they're um, quite charming and. Not hard to watch more than once. I feel like we watched one or two of them. Yeah. Yeah. The Spiderwick books, I feel... Uh, oh, yeah. I'm slightly guilty because Holly Black lives, like, a stone's throw away from us. <laughs> <laughs> and is always coming to each of our libraries to do things. <laughs> or the bookstore that we use. And um, I have not read any Holly Black things, Spiderwick, or, you know, otherwise... She told a really cute story at one of her visits to our library because she has a, a small person and mm -hmm. she has blue hair and she has had her hair dyed blue for her small person's entire life. And mm -hmm. her small person asked her when their hair might turn blue because they thought that that was just a color that hair was because right. their mama had had blue hair their whole life. Isn't that awesome? That is fantastic. Because they had what? seen pictures of her when she was younger and her hair wasn't blue, so they thought that it was like part of part this of like part of being up. a grown up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's the best story. And that's third hand. So apologies to anyone who was there who who heard the story. My colleague was uh facilitating the program and and told me the story after the fact. Oh, I have a Another I just thought of that's really great, again, for young kids. It's called When Fairies Go Bad by Ursula Vernon. It's part of the Dragon Breath series. Good. This sounds like my, what I like. <laughs> it's perfect. I, I mean, my kids and I are all huge Ursula fan, Vernon fans. And this particular one, in When Fairies Go Bad, is one of my favorite out of the Dragon Breath books. You can read them all out of order, you know, in any... <laughs> order you like and uh, Danny Dragonbreath his mom accidentally steps into a fairy circle and gets kidnapped so he and his two friends end up hopping on the first bus to fairy <laughs> to go and rescue her and it's really funny and really fun I do remember sitting in the fairy ring that was in our front yard when I was nine or ten and waiting expectantly <laughs> and hope what a fairy ring was and then it disappointed me, and I went back inside and watched some more Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to Earth. <laughs> so there, fairies, you had your chance. I think there's something great about fairies to kids' imaginations, because I remember when I was around eight years old, there was a particular corner in my parents' backyard that I had sort of claimed as mine, because, <laughs> you know, I had a younger brother. We were very territorial. Anyway, and so I would sit there all by myself with my notebooks, and I would write stories about the fairies that I thought lived secretly there, and that was those were some of my first stories. And here I am, you know, as an adult, publishing books with fairies, but it's not that far off. That's excellent. See, kids? Stay with your fairies. Can we segue briefly into the books that you have published that have fairies in them? We recently sure. finished reading I have... yeah. Sorry, the uh, Girl with the Dragon Heart. No. No. Yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> we, I, sorry, I'm easily confused. <laughs> and we enjoyed it very much. So um, much. Were fairies always a part of that world? Because in the first one, it was like dragons and people... And then you expanded it in this one to include fairies. Did you did you always intend to have fairies come into the picture, or were you just happened to surprised by their appearance? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's a yes and no thing because when I first started writing the Dragon with the Chocolate Heart, which was the first book in that series, I initially thought it was going to be a standalone, and then when I figured out, sort of in the second half, that I 
did want to write more that set in that world, but not more with the same heroine because I thought her story really sort of finished at the end of book one. Then I started thinking about what what else is fun, what else is magical and fun and could be in this world, and also sort of stick with the Germanic kind of mythologies and legends uh, that I was pulling on uh, with the drag with what I wrote about dragons. So it was the underground fairies, and I loved getting to play with that. And I did insert one little note into the first book when Aventurine, the dragon girl, first comes to town and she meets her soon-to-be best friend who's sort of interrogating her and trying to figure out where she's really from and is teasing her and says, oh, I know you must be the first human ever to have escaped from fairy, you know, from the fairies. And that's why, you know, you don't know what, how anything goes. And uh, anyway, Aventurine gets very outraged because, you know, dragons completely loathe fairies. <laughs> But that was that was the the clue drop being dropped uh, that um fairies would show up. And in fact, Silka, the friend who is the heroine of the second book, her parents were kidnapped by those fairies, and she is very interested in finding ways to rescue people from there. Yeah, it was very tense. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So I've written fairies in that book which so there were the sort of beautiful dangerous fairies and there's also the various fae creatures that form part of their court so there's the red cap goblins right. and there are different kinds of goblins in the next dragon book coming up later this year the princess who flew with dragons where the very <laughs> grouchy introverted princess sophia very much against her will, gets flown across the world to do diplomacy, completely screws it up, and ends up uh, being bad in the way that geeky girls would be bad, speaking for myself, where she runs off and ends up illicitly going to the university oh, instead okay. of sticking in the castle. And she hangs out with a whole bunch of fantastic goblin girls who are all, you know, hanging out at the university and going to underground coffee houses, you know, with trolls and things. That sounds and great. So I, those are my fairy and fae in middle grade. And for grown-ups, I just wrote, well, I just published um, Thornbound, which is the second book in the Harwood Spellbook. And these books are set in an alternate version of English history in which Boudicca did successfully kick out the Romans with the help of her second husband, who is a creation of mine, who was a mage. And from then on, that's how life got divided up in England, as it's called, where women are hard-headed and practical, so they run the government while leaving emotional, irrational magic to the men. <laughs> and so things have developed a bit differently because of all of that. Thank goodness. And, yes. <laughs> so in the second book, Cassandra Harwood, who was the first woman magician, sort of breaking that old hierarchy, yeah, she opens her own school of magic for women, which outrages a whole bunch of people. And she happens to be doing it on her family's estate, but right by these woods, which are populated by fae and it's during bluebell season which is an extremely dangerous time uh, when no one should dare step into the forest and in fact some very angry dangerous fae get drawn into all the chaos of the school's opening and it all becomes very dangerous yes excellent <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> thank you i will see if i can get Eileen to read it's very short the the harward spell book books that's it they're com i'm completely sold on them. okay good i'm completely sold i love boudica okay i'm i'm very here for it okay yes so it's okay if you don't too i promise <laughs> Sorry, I, I it doesn't a... compromise my love for you stephanie <laughs> it's okay there are members of my family who haven't read them and probably never will so yeah it's it's a it's a book brain thing but yeah, I, I will sell the movie when it, when it is good. produced. Yeah, let's get the movies produced. <laughs> I have have you seen the Secret of Kells movie? I have not. I have not either, so I picked it up off the shelf. I feel like as book nerds we should have seen this because it is an animated children's film based on The Book of Kells. The Book of Kells. Yes. <laughs> the, and then an uh monk named Brendan in Ireland meets a fairy named Ashling who helps him. My friend named his kid Brendan after that particular Saint Brendan. Oh wow. 
<laughs> so not because of the movie, but because of Ireland in the Book know? of Kells. <laughs> because we discussed it when his kid was born. <laughs> so have you seen uh, Pan's Labyrinth? Do you know what? I haven't. And everyone I know who saw it said it was amazing. So, yes, I am in the exact same boat as you. And it brings up something that I think that when I was a baby librarian was when Francesca Leah Block was writing. Mm, oh, the Weezy Bats. One of my good friends was a teen librarian. And I picked up I Was a Teenage Fairy. And I believe I read it and did not like it. Mm. I don't like retain a lot of that because I think that bad reviews are impolite. <laughs> but I remember not liking it. And then I'm reading the back of Pan's Labyrinth, which I have in my hand. And in, in I Was a Teenage Fairy, I think maybe the young woman who is the central character has like an imaginary friend who's a fairy or maybe she's <laughs> really a fairy and it's like helping her cope with a terrible incidence of abuse and in Pan's Labyrinth, the fantastical fairy elements are in the young woman's imagination because she is living in fascist Italy, and her life is terrible, and so her fantastical inner world is great, and that's where she goes to escape. So I think that's something that you see in fairy books, or that you see in fairy movies where there's all this allegory and metaphor and escape and uh. coping with, like, if you can kill the fairy king, then the person who is visiting horrors upon you in real life can be vanquished. Right. And I think that these, I think these metaphors are very empowering and uh -huh. important and they they don't work for the way my brain works. <laughs> I was just thinking that most of the stuff that we've talked mm -hmm. about has the main character is human or more human or they're strange to the fairy world and they're like getting to know the rules. And the thing that's fascinating about fairies for them and for us is that they're so different you know, they're immortal, or they, they don't feel the same way we feel, or they have weird rituals, and, you know, they can't stand the cold iron or whatever. And I was wondering if there are successful, like, all fairy productions, where there's no, like, human element. So I think that what you are describing is probably the appeal of fairies for kids in that being in the fairy world where you don't understand when you're a kid, you're in this world of other people and grownups that you don't understand because you don't know why they do the things they do or what's yeah, going on. Still. And so, right. It's like you say, still, I think it's a really good representation of that. And I think that before we answer your question, I think that that might be what it's all about. Hmm. But I I don't know. And yes, I would like, tell me more about things that have fairies with no interlopers. That's a good question. Because the only one I can think of is Strange Magic, again, the movie. And that, and they're not that, they're not the kind of eerie fairies, the actual fairies in there. Usually, I think the idea of changelings, you know, the changeling child who is snuck into the human family and vice versa, the changeling, the, the human child who then grows up in the fairy court, those are both super powerful because kids, I mean, what kid doesn't feel out of place sometimes and feel like some mistake has been made? I think I think some of the Tinkerbells that I talked about are just they're just set in the fairy world and we you know, like don't have any humans. It's just Tinkerbells just Tinkerbell inventing and things all of her and fairy her... comrades. Um, this is good. Maybe those Laurel Hamilton married gentry books. Are there some of those that don't go back to? She comes into it as an adult, so she stands in as the like viewer. Yeah, well, she had grown up in fairy, hadn't she? And then she left for her own safety, and then now she's come back. Right. Hmm. So it's a bit tricky. I think. Yeah. I think it. I think it works better for most people if they have something they can hang on to. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so you don't say. Better for some people than others. 
uh, four books on my to-read pile here. I have Hex Hall by Rachel Hawkins, who I enjoy on Twitter very much. Is that the first book in the when people going to learn magic school? I think so, yeah. And it came up, it, it looks to me like witches, but it came up under fairies, so under some search I did. Mm. So we'll have to see what that means. I like the cover of it. The cover is good. I've got uh, Borderline by Michelle Baker. Oh, I've heard lots of good things. I have too. So Millie lost her legs and her filmmaking career in a failed suicide attempt. Just when she's sure the credits have rolled on her life story, she gets a second chance with the Arcadia Project, a secret organization that polices the traffic to and from a parallel reality filled with creatures straight out of myths and fairy tales. For her first assignment, Millie is tasked with tracking down a missing movie star who also happens to be a nobleman of the Seely Court. To find him, she'll have to smooth-talk Hollywood power players and uncover the surreal and sometimes terrifying truth behind the glamour of Tinseltown. So Hollywood is populated by the Fae? That makes sense, doesn't it? Really it really does make sense. Oh, I've, I've just thought of something that I have read so many times, I can't believe I didn't think of it before. But in the paranormal romance genre, that Thea Harrison series, the Elder Races series... It start. I think we talked about it last we time did. because it has dragons and dragon bound, but there's also two different sets of fairies. There's the dark fae and the light fae, and the dark fae are based in Chicago, <laughs> and although they spend most of their time, there's an entryway into uh, this other world where they spend most of their time, but they own sort of Chicago territorially. They can go in and out through that. And then the light fae are, in fact, in Hollywood, I mean, out, and uh, they run Hollywood, basically. Of course they do. So it's interesting that so many people have thought, ooh, you know, these incredibly ma magical seeming uh, glittery people, there must be fairies involved. I mean, it makes sense. They're unnatural beauty. <laughs> That's right. And so magnetic and charming. Yes, the charisma. It must be something that is not just human. What are you looking at? Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out why I pulled Rachel Hawkins, but it looks like there are fairies in Hex Hall. Uh, it's just not clear from the back jacket. But it looks good. She discovers she's a witch, and then she's sent to Hex Hall, an isolated reform school for wayward prodigium, a.k.a. witches, fairies, and shapeshifters. So that looks good. And then I've got Jeanette Eng's Under the Pendulum Sun, a oh, novel yes. of the fae I have not read yet. Catherine Hellstone's missionary brother has disappeared while bringing the Gospels to the Dark Continent. Not Africa, but Arcadia, leg legendary land of the magical fae. Desperate for news of him, she makes the perilous journey to the that extraordinary land, but once there, she finds herself alone and isolated in the sinister house of Gethsemane. I can never pronounce that. Gethsemane? Gethsemane. Oh, Okay. At last, there comes news. Her beloved brother is writing to be reunited with her, but the Queen of the Fae and her insane court are hard on his heels. It says, a evocative, claustrophobic, gothic novel. With strikingly creepy set pieces. Says your friend, Aliette. <laughs> I can absolutely verify that, because I got that when it came out, and it is super dark and super atmospheric, and it feels very, you know, kind of Bronte sisters. If the Bronte sisters had written something set in fairy and hadn't had to worry about offending people even more than they already did with their books. <laughs> <laughs> and last, I have Julie Kagawa's The Iron King, which is the first in a trilogy. Something has always felt slightly off in Megan's life ever since her father disappeared before her eyes when she was six. She has never quite fit in, at school or at home, when a dark stranger begins watching her from afar. That's never good. And her prankster best friend becomes strangely protective of her. Megan senses that everything she's known is about to change. Okay. But she could never have guessed the truth. Never. That she is the daughter of a mythical fairy king and is pawn in a deadly war. Okay. Very cool. Oh, wait, sorry. She will learn just how far she'll go to save someone she cares about to stop a <laughs> mysterious evil no fairy creature dare face and to find love with a young prince who might rather see her dead than let her touch his icy heart. 
Wow, there's really a lot going on in there, Julie. <laughs> That's why it's a trilogy. Yeah, I saw her speak when the second one was coming out. Maybe the third one was coming out. I can't remember. She was the solo teen author on a panel of adult authors, and she was an extremely good sport about being there. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Skin by Tina Connolly, I think, is a retelling of... Oh, that's Jane Eyre, isn't it? And then I've got just notes. Uh, Cresley Cole and Shona Husk, I think, did um, more paranormal romance angle. You know, Maggie Stiefeter, she got started with fairy books, didn't she? It was Lament and Ballad. Oh, yeah. Because I remember I actually, I was on the Andre Norton Award jury the year that Lament came out. And I, oh, and um, Melissa Marr, she's the other one with all the fairy books. Why a fantasy? Melissa Marr. Wicked Lovely, I think that's her fa- her first one. I know that Marie Brennan had a fairy series before she started doing the Lady Trent dragon. Oh, yes, I really liked Marie Brennan's fairy ones. It was like covering the whole arc of England's history, but look from the fairy's point of view. I mean, that sounds right up your alley. <laughs> it does. It was great. I was very jealous. Uh, yeah. Marie Brennan is one of those authors where... What we write always ends up coming out very differently. But every time I see a new book announcement for her, I think, oh, that sounds like such a cool idea. I wish I'd thought of it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then I enjoy reading them. So it all works out. <laughs> what else do you have? Uh, I just have a note that says Tam Lynn. <sighs> Tam Lynn. That was, Stephanie mentioned that. <laughs> There's so many retellings so of Tam Lynn. Tam Lynn's. Susan Cooper. Susan mm. Cooper retold. Hey, is the Dark is Rising sequence, did that have fairies? No. Yeah, they're the old ones. Right. So I'm, see, this is how right, unfairy I am because <laughs> I'm like, hey, wait, that was something that I read 40 years ago that that might be relevant, but I haven't. And I mean, I did. I. <laughs> well, if we're talking about all the sort of fake creatures, including goblins, there's um Winter Song by uh, S. J. Jones, which is. The girl who goes down. I see. This is the problem. I have. I have it on my shelf, and I'm looking at it, but I haven't actually read it yet. I haven't either, but it's on my list. <laughs> That's okay. This is all good because yeah. we are talking about these we're, things, we're and clarifying. we may read them, but we are mentioning them. So when they come across someone else's world, they'll be like, "Right, they mentioned that on Bellwether Friends, and they said something interesting about it, and they haven't read it, but maybe I will." There is a book called The Princess and the Goblin. By George oh, MacDonald. I love that when from I was a kid. That was published so great. in 1872. Oh my gosh. And its sequel, The Princess and Curdie. I would just like to clarify that I was not a kid in 1872, even though I read it when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's the recent edition of Mike's school library. Not... Okay. Your spirit may have been a kid in 1872. There's always that chance. It is. I... <laughs> there is. It would explain so much. <laughs> right? So your soul can be uh, old. Yes. Well, I was one of those nerdy, nerdy kids who used to have trouble because I didn't understand that I shouldn't use all the vocabulary I learned in 19th century novels when I was in school. You know, I, I didn't really pick up on that until I finally got to college and developed some social cues. <laughs> well, no. So I would like to, to make a pitch for Christina Rossetti's poem, Goblin Market. Yes. Um, in which there is some interesting imagery. <laughs> okay. For ladies who like ladies. Oh. <laughs> All right. Making notes. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. I mean, yes. Which will be comprehensive, as Aline always goes through meticulously and links to things that we discuss so that you do not have to write them down while you're listening. Right. Thank you, Ellie. Sometimes I write them down while I'm listening, and usually I do them while we're editing, but I tend to link everything we have mentioned. And so look forward Sometimes to... Sometimes that's why it takes us so long to put out an episode. <laughs> we look forward to having you check out our, our show page and, and our links and read all of the books with all of the fairies. Oh, and there's another one I have not read yet. It only came out, I think, last week, maybe. I saw Alyssa Cole recommend it on Twitter. So, And it's a fantasy romance for adults. It's men loving men rather than ladies loving ladies. But it's 
by a guy, Devin Arnois, uh, his own voices, and it's Shadowmancer, Paladin Charm, book one. And I believe it talks about the Queen of Shadows, but I'm pretty sure they're talking about who we would think of as the Queen of Fairy. Okay. I could be wrong, though, because I haven't read it, but based on the reviews I've read. <laughs> this sounds good to me. I will add it to my list. <laughs> it does. It sounds real good. It sounds right up my alley. I'm just looking through books about goblins. Making sure you've mentioned everything? I'm sure I haven't mentioned everything. I am looking at my notes. I have mentioned the things that I thought of. I feel like there is, besides Lorena McKennett and the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, I feel like <laughs> there is fairy music that I have in my head. And so I might do a a fairy music search and okay. see if there's anything really good That's a great idea. and stick it in the show notes. But it, there's not anything that jumps into my mind right now. I am interested in suggestions. I have several already from our conversation today, but I'm interested in suggestions from our listeners of your favorite fairy things that we have not mentioned. I know there is a lot out there and I particularly am interested in fairies on Earth. <laughs> in in the, as in the world. Lost Girl. As in Lost Girl. Or in any of the things with the fairies. Like, there's a reason that you always trip over that particular spot in the kitchen. Because there is someone, there is a wee free man on his hands and knees... Trying to make you fall down on your way to the rubbish bin. Yes? That makes sense. Yes. Sounds good. So tweet those at us or just shout them into the void and we'll probably hear because <laughs> yeah, we, we'll hear. we have friends everywhere. <laughs> the spider senses will tingle. Do you have any? You're looking at your bookshelves, Stephanie. Is there anything else that you haven't mentioned? Gosh, I'm not. The only thing I'm looking at on my bookshelf, well, there's Lainey Taylor. Um, she did a short story collection called Lips Touch. And the yeah, the first story in it is based on Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market. Perfect. Of course it is. Thank you, Lainey. Lainey is the writer of the book with the girl with blue hair and the teeth. <laughs> That narrows it down so much. Is it about Holly Black? <laughs> it is not about Holly Black. It's really good. It's set in Prague. I read it. It was like a fantasy novel that I read. I had dinner with her at a thing when it was coming out, and then I read it for reals. Is it Daughter of Smoke and Bone? Yes, thank you. <laughs> okay. I am a really good reader's advisor. This is how comfortable. <laughs> go at the library all the time you're gonna really like this book <laughs> why well, i don't know you just will <laughs> it's the teeth it's the teeth <laughs> did we cover everything we wanted to cover with regard to the fairies i think so and the wee folk and the fae and the goblins and the re wee free men everyone should read the goblin emperor <laughs> definitely um i can't remember the guy's name not as big as medium-sized jock but bigger than wee jock jock <laughs> I think that might be his name. Okay, so Stephanie, do you have a musical obsession? I do. I have several, and I spend far too much time agonizing over which one to say, but <laughs> I am going to tie in with the book of mine that just came out and say the song Wolves by Selena Gomez and Marshmallow, because that's what I listened to on repeat as I was writing Thornbound, because that's sort of the theme song in that book for Cassandra and her husband, who very much just want to now be together since they have gotten married. They worked out their issue. Well, I wouldn't say they've worked out every issue, but, you know, they have gotten married. They finally got married. They just want to, you know, see each other and have a wedding night. When I started reading and they worked together in the same place, I was like, wait a minute. Exactly. I think my favorite review of the book came from someone on Goodreads who said, in all caps, just let Cassandra and Rexon be together, you monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she was referring to the people who actually kept them apart in the book rather than to me, but all the same. <laughs> you know? Maybe it was plural, so it probably wasn't you. That was what I told myself, but I agreed with her anyway. <laughs> I have been reading it a little bit at a time because I'm savoring it, and uh, so I have... They have re they are in the same room. This is good. 
but I haven't I haven't finished yet. I'm saving it. Excellent. <laughs> Anna, do you have a musical obsession? I do. One of my colleagues had a ringtone earlier this week. Oh dear. That I heard through the cubicle wall. Oh dear. And it, it was Gustav Holst's Jupiter from the planet. Very nice. And so that I have not been able to get out of my head. Oh no. <laughs> now it will be in Musical Obsessions playlist. Thanks, Gustav. You British composer, you. Oh. For what it's worth, I had a professor, because I went to a music conservatory. I was originally going to, well, first I was going to be a French horn player, and then I was going to be a music historian. Anyway, none of those ended up happening. But I did come out with one useful piece of advice with one of my professors claimed that the way to stop an earworm is you think, the, you sing the song to yourself in reverse. <laughs> in reverse it's really complicated it's like if the song you start from the end of the song and you go like down instead of up it's i i can't even describe like the entire process but you focus so much on doing that you do sort of lose touch yes that's amazing now my method is to just listen to the song all the way through because i usually don't know enough words and i just get three words stuck in my head so that's part of it for me. I thought your method was to play that one boy band song for I me. Swear. Right. And just, just put that put that one in over the top of whatever it is. Yep, I used to do that with Elvis's teddy bear as well. Okay, great. So my musical obsession is none of these songs. It, it we went to see Happy Death Day to You, the sequel to Happy Death Day, which we will talk about at a later time. And over the closing credits, there is a cover of Stayin' Alive by Lizzo. Perfect. I mean, the Bee Gees song is a classic, and we love it. And Lizzo is awesome. And this version of Stayin' Alive is great. So I want to put it on the Musical Obsessions playlist. By the time you are reading this, listening listening to to this, this, (laughs) you may have heard us talk about Happy Death Day to you. We will... Hopefully, have uh, finished our column for Two Bossy Dames newsletter, which you can subscribe to, and we will uh, link to it in the show notes. But uh, we are hoping to talk about time loops for our column, which we will then talk about in an episode, in case you haven't read the column. Right. (laughs) And that sounds good. Just like you heard it all before. It'll, yeah, yeah, Jetta, there's the time loop factor. So, Stephanie, do you have a regular obsession? I do, and it is Platinum Plaisir, P-L-A-I-S-I-R, fountain pens. I am such a fountain pen geek, and until maybe four months ago, I would have said I was only obsessed with these very, very expensive ones. But then I tried, I think it was because my 10-year-old realized at the last minute he hadn't gotten me a Christmas present anyway and he was panicking and I thought well and he wanted an idea and I thought well you know people have said these pens are quite nice and you know it's not too much money you know and sure so I told my husband you know why don't you help him for one of these little pens and I love it Perfect. they write just as smoothly as some of the excruciatingly expensive fountain pens that I have used and they're so cute they come in this huge range of colors my new obsessive idea is I want them in all of the colors (laughs) okay (laughs) they're just super light and they they write so well if I like to buy converters to go with them platinum the company sells these converters you can use and then you can use pretty bottles of ink but otherwise if you don't want to spend five dollars on a converter you just use regular ink cartridges and that would work fine too. And I just love writing with all of them. I, I've got a pink one and a blue one. And, so this is, you can tell uh, little G that this is what I also want for my next birthday, along with a pair of socks that says, I love socks on it. Okay. This is great. <laughs> I'm so glad that we have a, a good wish list for you. Do you have a regular obsession? Oh my goodness. Do I ever have a regular obsession? Oh boy. <coughs> Um, unfortunately, it's a book that's coming out in September. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. But it is uh, by Tamsin Muir, who is a Kiwi, I think. It, the book is called Gideon the Ninth. It is the first in a series of, uh, let's see, it's set in space. It involves necromancers. And Gideon is a cavalier to a necromancer who is involved in a competition to 
become an immortal hand of the emperor, I guess you would say. But it ends up being a sort of locked room mystery where other necromancer cavalier pairs are being murdered horrifically and they're trying to figure out what's going on. The I can't really describe the glee with which I devoured this book. I can describe that for you. Right. <laughs> Where I'm reading parts out loud to Eileen when I know that she absolutely does not care about uh, <laughs> sci-fi necromancy. Oh and, want to read it. And she's keeping me up to date on what the characters are going through and how they're feeling. She's like, oh my goodness, and then this happened. And I... I she usually does it as before I'm falling asleep, so I'm a little defenseless. But yeah, I, so, I heard a lot about this book. So the, the character of Gideon, she is like 18. She has grown up in this basically convent of crusty old nuns who only care about bones because the, their magic is that they can... You know, they're supposed to guard the locked tomb. And her necromancer is also about her age, and they hate each other's guts. But Gideon is... Uh, the the cover has her wearing her death's head face paint and her, like, aviator sunglasses. That just gives you an idea of her character. She's, like, hilarious. She has never met a pun she didn't like. She hates her necromancer, but also maybe secretly cares about her. Uh, because and she has a collection of like, galactic boob magazines, I guess is how they describe it. That, she, but she's never been out in the world before, and her first chance to get out is to go to this competition where everyone seems to be dying. And also, she's really good with the sword. There are lots of sword fighting scenes. It's like catnip. So this catnip. sounds amazing. This is Anna Catnip for sure, and it is also a book that our friend and yours, Liberty of Book Riot, has loved and read and reread already. Right. So I'm going to link to Liberty's thread because she was talking about it on Twitter in very eloquently. I was going to say, <laughs> look for my much more co coherent review and book list. <laughs> But yeah, that's it's in, truly Anna's obsession. Excellent. What about you, Eileen? Oh, oh yeah. So I have an obsession, and because I don't always read books that I think are wonderful and everyone should read, I don't have to read something in order to be obsessed <laughs> with it. And this week was my first encounter with the cover of a forthcoming book by Olivia Waite, it will be published in June by Avon Impulse, and it is called The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics. Doesn't it sound amazing? The cover is two ladies looking into each other's eyes and being very close. <laughs> and Olivia's pinned tweet has these bullet points that are going to sum it up for everyone. Female, female, historical romance. Lady astronomer and an explorer's widow super into embroidery. Academic symposium. Art exhibits. Art versus science. Or is it? And this looks like the female, female, historical romance that we have all been waiting for. And yes, we have read some. And yes, there are ones that exist. And I don't mean to imply that they don't and that they haven't been wonderful. And I sat next to Olivia at a luncheon several years ago when the Greater Seattle Romance Writers of America chapter named me their Librarian of the Year. Woo! She was Aww. my lunch companion, and she was charming and witty, and I have followed her on Twitter since, and I have been waiting for this book my whole life, and she uh -huh. has written it, and she's great, so put it on your pre-order list, because it's coming out in June, and it's out there. You can pre-order now. I have pre-ordered that one. I love Olivia's work so much. And she writes such great reviews, too. For Is it Seattle Review of Books? She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So get your get that on your order. Anna is rereading Gideon mm -hmm. the Ninth sitting next to me. She's, <laughs> she's got it open. I feel like I haven't <laughs> captured it very well. So she's uh, just sitting here going through it. <laughs> just going. So she's going to be busy for the rest of the morning. Do you have anything? No, I don't have anything. I mean, I have everything, 
the one that I keep thinking about is just, it's just a throwaway. I forget what Gideon said, but it was just like, Gideon said something and then comma, because she thought all puns were good. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That just persuaded me to read the book. <laughs> there, and there are a couple of instances like that that were read out loud to me during the reading of the book. <laughs> so it looks like we may have come to the end. Yay, us. Yay! We are so grateful to Stephanie for coordinating with us across the Atlantic and making time to join us today. Thank you so much for having me. We heard about some of your forthcoming work earlier. Is there anything else you would like to make sure that we and our listeners know about? Gosh, well, um, obviously, the most recent book that I'm still thinking about is Thornbound because it just came out a couple of weeks ago from when we were recording. And I would love people to read that, obviously. And I'm... I guess the only other things are in November in America, there's going to be a new kids book, which is The Princess Who Flew With Dragons. And in February next year, there will be another Harwood Spellbook book, which will be Ladies Loving Ladies. This is Miss Banks and Miss Fennel's story, finally. (laughs) Maybe that will get Aline to read them. I don't read that. You guys, stop shaming me. You're shaming me. I'll be fine. Okay, awesome. So, thanks for listening. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. Right. You can find us on Twitter at Bellwether Friends, B E L L W E T H E R F R N D S. You can find us on Facebook. We're on Tumblr. If you want, you can look us up on iTunes and leave us a review to help other people find us. I'm Anna, and you can find me online at Helga Grace, H-E-L-G-A-G-R-A-C-E. I'm Aline, and you can find me on Twitter at Surly Spice, S-U-R-L-Y-S-P-I-C-E. Where can we find you, Stephanie? You can find me on Twitter at Stephanie Burgess, which is S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-B-U-R-G-I-S. And our In-N-Out music was provided by Julie Jurgens. You can find her on Twitter at Hi Miss Julie, H-I-M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E. 